Let's chat about how to get what you need for your home when you don't have a lot of cash or credit. You can do that at Aaron's. Rent to own appliances, furniture, and tech from top brands like HP, Samsung, and Ashley. But say you don't need it anymore, no problem. At Aaron's, you can return your product at any time or even upgrade it for something new. Life's always changing. With Aaron's, your stuff can change right along with it. Keep it, return it, upgrade it. Aaron's fits your life instead of the other way around. Approval isn't guaranteed and some restrictions apply. See your local store for details. We are welcoming a new show to iHeart and the DraftKings YouTube channel. It is called Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano. It's an insider's look at the NBA and the culture surrounding the league. Every week, the five-time All-Star and the number one pick in the 2010 NBA Draft, John Wall will give his unique perspective on the hottest topics in the league and tell the best behind-the-scenes stories from his time in the NBA. So check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, the DraftKings YouTube channel, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Introducing the Lisa Chill Collection, your answer to hot nights. These mattresses beat the heat with ultra-cool covers, whisking away heat for the perfect sleep temperature. Save up to $460 on chill mattresses and get two free pillows when you shop now. iHeart listeners can save an extra $50 off by visiting lisa.com forward slash iHeart. That's L-E-E-S-A dot com slash iHeart. Exclusions apply. See lisa.com for more details. The Volume. Looking for a super offer for Super Bowl 58? Well, DraftKings has you covered. New customers can bet on the big game and turn 5 bucks into 200 instantly in bonus bets. The line right now is at San Francisco minus 1.5, but you can bet all sorts of things on the game, even the coin toss, although big shock, it's going to be 50-50 odds there. My brothers and I always place a bunch of bets on the Super Bowl every year. I'm not actually sure what I'm going to do yet, but I'm excited. It should be a great game. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code HOOPS, that's H-O-O-P-S. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get 200 instantly in bonus bets, only on DraftKings Sportsbook an official sports betting partner of Super Bowl 58 with code HOOPS. Again, that's H-O-O-P-S. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY to 467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas. 21 plus, age varies by jurisdiction, void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash football for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gambling resources. All right, welcome to Hoops Tonight here at The Volume. Happy Friday, everybody. Hope all of you guys had an incredible week. Well, as promised, every other Friday, we have the guys from Nerd Sesh coming on the show today. I wanted to do kind of a similar type of idea to what we did last week in terms of kind of bouncing around the league and hitting a bunch of, of, of topics. But instead of doing teams today, we're going to do players. And so I've got another game for us to do. Where I've got five questions about NBA players that are... Firmly split between two players, and we'll have to pick between one 
or the other. All right. So without any further ado, we're going to start with you, Carson. Who is most likely to go on a deep playoff run this year, LeBron James or Steph Curry? Well, I want to start by saying that I think it's unlikely when you're talking about deep, like a final sort of run for either of these teams and probably Western Conference finals too. But I still clearly think that it's LeBron. And the reality is just that he would have to do less superhero stuff for the Lakers to make, say, a Western Conference Finals run than Steph would. And the obvious reason there is that he has another superstar caliber player on his team and Anthony Davis, who could be their best player for a series. There's nobody on the Warriors who could possibly carry that sort of load. He also has the backbone that is AD specifically defensively and the fact that the Lakers can reach a defensive ceiling where they're dominant. And that was the driving factor of their success in last year's run. So I think that LeBron can get to a special level, but he'll be able to pick his spots more, even in a playoff run where it doesn't have to be every single night. I'm doing what Steph did in game seven versus the Kings. Cause that's kind of what it feels like this Warriors team would need to make some noise. And I do think the elite size in the front court makes the Lakers match up much better against some of those other super big physical teams in the West, the Nuggets, the Timberwolves. The Warriors are just going to be outmatched physically in those matchups. The lack of a second dynamic shot creator, it's just too costly for them. So I have felt all year that it's LA. I still feel, even as both these teams have struggled, that it's definitely LA. Those are the two biggest points for me with the Lakers, too. Uh, he has Anthony Davis to rely on, and they're just physical as hell, and they're athletic as hell. They're big as hell. Uh, and the Warriors, uh, sadly, like as much as I like the conglomerate of assets that they have, the bench pieces that have stepped up, you know, shout out B-Pod, shout out Kaminga for going crazy, shout out TJD. Like, I like a lot of the Warriors' pieces, but they don't have a dominant number two. They are at physical disadvantages. And Anthony Davis is the best player, you know, uh, this season. Um out of the two guys, like Steph just doesn't have that luxury. So uh, I also think it's the Lakers. And I think they're more, uh, for looking at this from a trade deadline perspective, I know we bring this up every time we talk about LA. I think considering that they are the Los Angeles Lakers, they don't have a core like the Warriors do. They are more likely to make a game-changing move at the deadline as well. Yeah, I think if we go back a month, it's a chasm between the two. I think mm. like... There, it was just so much more clear that the Lakers were more primed for that type of, of playoff run. But some things have changed. For instance, Andrew Wiggins is starting to play a little bit better. Jonathan Kamingo over the course of the last like three weeks is basically on. He went from not having a single consecutive stretch of 20-point games in his career to what's he on like seven or eight of them in a row now. Yeah. So like you have the rise of Jonathan Kaminga even on the other end of things for the Lakers. Like we went from... You know, like, like Jared Vanderbilt is vitally important to this team. And we got an announcement today that he's going to be out for at least a few more weeks and that the that season-ending surgery is on the table for Jared Vanderbilt, which wouldn't be a death sentence for the Lakers, but would significantly cut into their margin for error. So it is closer. But that said, it's still the Lakers. It's it, a lot of specific reasons. They have more star power. Like you said, there's more secondary shot creation support for LeBron James. And even, even extending into this, the typical stuff that we know matters the most when we get to the NBA playoffs. So, for instance, the Lakers have the size to match up with a lot of teams that other teams do not. The Lakers have more superstar talent 
than the Warriors have. The Lakers have, even just among the guys in their rotation that are younger, they're younger players with playoff experience now. Rui Mm -hmm. Hachimura was there for the deep playoff run. Austin Reeves was there for the deep playoff run. A lot of these guys like Pazemski, Trace Jackson, Davis, they're like Kaminga barely played in last year's playoff run. So like, I think they're just more primed, even if we do acknowledge that that trend is flipping. And I want to be clear, that trend is flipping because I actually see the, the Warriors going on a Lakers-esque second half run for a bunch of specific reasons. One, they have the fifth easiest remaining schedule in the NBA, which especially if you factor in the Western Conference where just, I was digging into the numbers the other day. The West is just so much deeper with talent from the top Mm -hmm. to the bottom. I was even, I I can't remember the exact numbers, but I pulled up like the head-to-head records and the Western Conference teams have like have uh, like a 30 wins in the positive over 500 over Eastern Conference teams head-to-head this year. Like the West is just deeper and and the Warriors have had a hellacious schedule to start the year with Draymond playing in only 20 of the games. And so I think there's a lot of potential for the Warriors to go on that type of run. But again, when you get down to like the playoff groupings and it's like it's probably going to be Steph, Clay. Andrew Wiggins, Jonathan Kaminga, and Draymond Green. It's just with some of the decline we've seen from Clay Thompson with Jonathan Kaminga being so young, it's just hard mm-hmm. to pick them in, in in a series the way that you can kind of see the Lakers kind of getting to that point. Uh, I want to be I want to be clear though, like both of these teams, they're both kind of poised to head into that play in tournament range. And our top two teams in the Western Conference are the Oklahoma City Thunder and the Minnesota Timberwolves, two teams that are extremely good. And I'm not trying to sit here and undercut the good that they bring to the table, but between some of the limitations that we've talked about with the Timberwolves and some of their late-game execution, their clutch offense has been garbage in the last like month or so. And then you look at the Thunder and some of the limitations they have as being a young and small team. It's kind of crazy because I agree with you, Carson. Both of these teams are seemingly in worse position than they were last year. Yeah, it's like you get into that 7-8 slot and you have a chance. It's like, man, I, I don't think it's off the table. So before we move on, I want to give you guys one one more follow-up. Do you think it's more likely than not that either team pulls off a first-round upset or more likely than not that they both lose in the first round or miss the playoffs entirely? I think it is more likely than not, if we're viewing them as a collective Probably that they lose in the first round or miss entirely just because I'm struggling to see it with the Warriors right now. And there is a lot still that I like. And I know that their record is poor, but by net rating, like they've been a better team than the Lakers. They've had some of the worst late game execution and also luck. They've lost so many close games this year. They have dealt with Draymond's absence for an extended period and they have been looking different as of late because of the dynamic changer that is Jonathan Kaminga but I still see some irreversible issues with them and when I look at a team like the Thunder they're more athletic they have more dynamic shot creators they're defending at a higher level yeah they're less experienced but I just think Steph would have to go supernova and when SGA is opposite you and he has the best supporting cast that's just tough formula I still think the Lakers have the upside to beat a whole lot of teams out west not the Nuggets I think the Clippers would be a strong favorite. But outside of that, LeBron and AD, and they have much more secondary shot creation, as you mentioned, from the perimeter, Jason. If you're picking out the two dudes outside of that star tier who it's like, hey, run me a pick and roll, float my offense for six minutes, you want Austin Reeves and you want D'Angelo Russell more than you want anybody on that Warriors roster after Steph. So unfortunately, I just think the path is too long for the Warriors right now. 
Call me crazy. I don't know. If we get those hypothetical matchups, I think I might take LA and Golden State to win, to upset wow. them both. I, I don't know, dude. The experience factor really matters to me there. And you say that it is a tall task to ask Steph to do that. But, I mean, has Steph given us any reason to doubt him? Like, I don't know, man. I, I think in that hypothetical matchup, I would pick the Lakers and the Warriors to both upset those young teams, man. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ride with the old guard. The tough one would be the Warriors. The the like I think they would need to catch OKC in particular uh, to get that first round upset. But I think that's on the table specifically just because I really do think Golden State would have just a huge experience advantage there. Draymond Green too. You could just see him getting all into the gamesmanship <laughs> in the early phase of the series to like mm. snatch Chet Holmgren of his confidence and to do some things along those lines. I, I'm I, I would lean slightly more towards it's more likely than not that we get one of those teams to upset somebody in the first round. All right, moving on to our next question: <clears throat> Who has more pressure on them in this playoff run? Giannis Antetokounmpo or Jason Tatum? We'll start with you, Logan. I would argue that Jason Tatum maybe has more pressure on his shoulders than any other player in all of basketball this season coming into the playoffs. Uh, considering his shortcomings uh, in the playoff stage that we've seen in late-game scenarios where he has a lack of, uh, lack of shot dynamism, where he has struggled when there's a lot of ball pressure applied to him, uh, where he's crumbled in these big moments, uh, to put it you know to put it simply. And... You couple that with the fact that Boston has really gone all in on this core and they've invested more into, uh, you know, this top five of this lineup. Uh, they've got Chris Porzingis. They've got Drew Holiday. They've got Derek White. They've got Jalen Brown. Like, at this point, if the Celtics don't get it done this year, it's a major disappointment. And all of that blame is going to fall on the shoulders of Jason Tatum, considering the fact that Giannis has already climbed the mountain. You know, I mean, Giannis can have as many... Giannis can have as many late-game gaffes and poor, you know, executions in the clutch. He got it done. That's all that really matters. He had a 50-piece on the biggest stage. We saw Tatum in the finals, and sure, he had a couple of good games, but they crumbled against the Warriors. They had that series in the back. That's his legacy until he changes it, right? They crumbled in Game 7 against the Miami Heat. That's the Celtics' reputation, and that's Jason Tatum's reputation. Considering how stacked the roster is, uh, I think Tatum has more to prove in these playoffs than anybody else in basketball. I think he's got the kind of the weight of the world on his shoulders, man. He's Atlas right now. I agree, and I think that Logan makes a great point. Once you have climbed the mountain once, and especially once you've done it in the fashion that Giannis did, and I'm not talking about the run in terms of competition because you have the Nets down basically two of their three stars. They had James Harden barely walking around, and then the Hawks and a Suns team that was good, uh, but maybe not totally championship ready. It's not about that murderer's row that he had to go through but it's about the level that he played individually like Giannis was unbelievable in that run and specifically in the finals that puts you in a different tier in terms of I think the margin that you have and last year was ugly but he still has more margin the expectations are different also because he has done that and Tatum hasn't but Tatum is the guy who a lot of people it seems want to crown as like one of the kings of the league right alongside Jokic and Giannis and I don't think that he's quite on that level as a player and he does not have that sort of playoff resume. And especially this year, he has everything, everything going in his favor. The Celtics have been overwhelmingly talented for the last couple years. This is a different level, though, man. 
we say this often on our show, they have five all-star caliber basket players, basketball players on the same team. This is not just the most talented starting five in the league. If you take away the number one guy, the Nuggets starting lineup is really good, but the two through five are not as loaded as what Boston has. It's one of the most talented starting fives of this century, like legitimately in that top tier. And so when you have the reputation where we do see the tremendous variance from him game to game because of his reliance on pull-up threes where he's not always the most efficient. When you think about some of the turnover issues that he had in the finals run, especially in late game situations, the offense just sort of devolving and Tatum is at the center of that. Was really bad in game seven against the Heat. Was bad in game six against the Warriors in the finals. It just feels like he is the guy who has all of the perfect storm circumstances coming together for this to just be a pressure cooker like pressures mm -hmm. on him in basically every sense he has the overwhelming advantages and he hasn't proven it this is the year he's got to do it yeah it's funny because i think Giannis definitely has some pressure mm -hmm. like yeah he's won he's won one playoff series since he hoisted the trophy in an, in an eastern conference by the way that's pretty top heavy and usually if you have a decent regular season you have a very winnable first-round matchup. Now, the important context is there was no Chris Middleton in 2022, and they lost to a Celtics team that I didn't think they had much of a chance to beat. And to Giannis's credit, he was amazing in that series. And yeah. then, obviously, he missed games in 2023 with an injury. That said, he didn't play well in that series against Miami. And a lot of the same issues that plagued him before he was a champion rose to the surface. He was turning the basketball over a lot. He was missing a ton of free throws. And then the lack of any sort of reliable over-the-top shot, whether it's a hook shot or a little short jumper or whatever it is, those were big things that rose to the surface when they lost to Miami last year. Since then, Nicole Jokic has overtaken him by some clearly discernible margin. I actually think I was actually thinking about this the other day. I think I think the the lead that Jokic is Jokic has over the league has become pretty significant all of a sudden. Uh, mm -hmm. When you kind of look around and you start to really parse out the strengths and weaknesses of some of these guys. But then, you know, for Giannis, they go and trade for a bona fide superstar guard to help him with all of that stuff. So, like, I want to be clear, like, if Giannis loses in the first or second round, that's not a good look. So, no. like, <laughs> there's definitely some pressure on him. And and I would I think we all agree that the Bucks. They have the chance. They have the potential to win the title, and they have the potential to lose in that first or second round. They are very much a a, a like a high floor or high ceiling, low floor type of team. That said, none of that even comes close to acknowledging the fact that Giannis is a champion and Jason Tatum is not. And when you really dig into it, I 100% agree. I put in my notes, plays in the most talented starting five in the league, in my opinion. He's about to turn 26 years old here in early March. That's the age where you start to expect a young star to kind of break through in the playoffs. And Boston's going to like run away with the number one overall seed. They are 2.5 games up on the second seed right now. And they have an insanely easy remaining schedule. Their opponents... For the remainder of their schedule, have only won forty five point three percent of their games. Just comically easy, and so <clears throat> the other thing that kind of that that kind of is 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 showing, I would say, a point of pretty significant pessimism for me. One of the biggest discouraging elements of this season from Jason Tatum has been, even though he put on all this additional muscle leaning so strongly into the pull-up jump shot. And so I wanted to give you guys some numbers because we had a stretch there late December, early January where he had it going. And it was like, oh, is he finally going to break through and this is going to be like the start of what all that hard work was for as Jason Tatum becomes this dynamic pull-up shooter. And then in 10 games, 
in his last 10 games, just 33 for 93 on pull-up jump shots, just 0.91 points per attempt, basically where he's been for years. And then the biggest concerning part there is 93 attempts in 10 games? Yeah. And that, that's 9.3 per game. <laughs> and so here's the, la- here's the last stat that I want to give you guys. Seven players in the NBA this year have attempted at least 400 pull-up jump shots. Jason Tatum, 400 at 46.6% effective field goal percentage. Anthony Edwards, 413 on 44.3% effective field goal percentage. Another similar issue, and that kind of goes to mm-hmm. a lot of the stuff I've talked about with Minnesota and like their, their potential to lose a series they shouldn't lose just because of poor decision-making by their primary shot creators. But this is where it gets interesting. SGA, 440 attempts, 53% effective field goal percentage. Devin Booker, 441 attempts, 52% effective field goal percentage. Trey, uh, 459 attempts, 52% effective field goal percentage. Jalen Brunson, 476 attempts, 53% effective field goal percentage. Luka Doncic, 560 attempts, 51% effective field goal percentage. You know what's uh, a point of of commonality between those five names? They're all guards. They're, none of them are 6'9 freak yeah. <laughs> athletes that are just completely jacked. Like, that's the difference. Like, Shea has good athletic tools, but he is not Anthony Edwards. Like, Devin Booker as a two-guard is a middle-of-the-pack athlete, if not a little bit below average. Trey Young is not an athletic guard. Jalen Brunson is not an athletic guard. Luka Doncic is a ground-bound forward. They need to rely on those types of shots, and they're way better at them. And Jason Tatum, if you look at it, that's half of his shot diet. He's going into games and actively hunting and pursuing these shots. And he can't make them at a high enough clip for it to make sense for him to do so. And so to me, like when we came into this season, we all agreed that the number one thing that mattered as it pertained to Boston and their ability to win the title was going to be offensive process. Could they be deliberate enough to uh, to get the right shots consistently enough to win the the against against another team that's on their tier a team like Milwaukee a team like Denver a team like the Clippers right and like that to me is just screaming like he doesn't get it he doesn't get it mm-hmm. and like once again last night I'm watching him and he had a couple tough ones and it's like I'm watching him I'm like dude you are the best player on this floor by a mile by a mile and, and, and you're and you're actively hunting some of the toughest shots that a basketball player can take in a game. It was it was definitely discouraging. But I'm off my soapbox. All right, so let's move on to our next topic. Who is more likely to perform well in this year's postseason run, Damian Lillard or James Harden? Let's start with you, Carson. What I think is difficult about this question is that they're in such different contexts, and so it's like. How do we evaluate performing well when James Harden is going to be a third option who is matching up with team's third best perimeter defenders and whose primary responsibility is going to be to facilitate the offense really and then pick his spots, right? Attacking maybe some of those weaker defenders in isolation and pick and roll and whatnot as compared to Damian Lillard, who has to be not just his team's second best player overall, but maybe their best offensive player period if that team wants to make noise in the playoffs and uh, in terms of half court offensive creation by far 
their number one guy. You talked about how Giannis melted down under those circumstances last year against a really great one-on-one defender like Bam who can match up with him physically. That lack of, that lack of shot making can hurt him. Uh, the turnovers can hurt him. As you said, get in the line. He can't convert in those situations. It's going to be about what Dame can do as this great pick and roll shot maker and facilitator. So they do have different roles. And I have been concerned by some stuff with Dame as of late. I think the lack of rim pressure, he hasn't looked quite as quick as we're used to. Uh, his perimeter shooting has not been what we're used to for a lot of this year. He's just 34% from deep. And Harden has been doing really well in his specific role. But I would just rather have Dame for a playoff run. I think that there is certainly more upside. I still can see uh, a takeover, just flamethrower shooting run from him. And I can see him uh, creating a bunch of opportunities for his teammates because of the stress that he puts on defenses and demanding that guys come out 30 feet to guard the pick and roll. Harden, I think you know, is going to fall within some range. And maybe he is a good, efficient third option this year, but we've just seen too many times before when he tries to carry that heavier burden as a volume scorer, he falls apart for various reasons. Last year, it was real struggles to get to the rim and then against athletic defenses, an inability to finish at the rim where he shot like 30% in that playoff run. It is the reliance on formulaic offense, which got better in last year's playoff run. He was taking more mid-range jumpers, but historically has been an issue. It's the reliance on getting to the line when you're not going to get those same calls. For all those reasons, Harden has consistently struggled to be the same player in a playoff run that he is in the regular season. This year could be different because he doesn't have that same burden, but I just think Dame is better, and I think that Dame has much more potential to go on like a legitimately torrent run where you look at it and you say, yeah, he was the reason that they made it this far. Well said, Carson. I mean, it really does come down to like reputation for me. Am I going to go with one of the biggest, you know, playoff chokers, the guy who continuously lets us down? Or am I going to go with a guy who has a reputation as a stone cold killer? I do agree with you. It's drastically different situations, but I'm going to go with the killer. Uh, I I believe when the chips are down that Dame's a gamer and on the biggest stages, Dame ups his game another level. This has been a down year for Dame, but I think on the biggest stage, there's just a level of trust and confidence that I have in Dame to, to step his game up. So I'm going with Dame. We are welcoming a new show to iHeart and the DraftKings YouTube channel. It is called Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano. It is an insider's look at the NBA and the culture surrounding the league. Every week, the five-time All-Star and number one pick in the 2010 NBA Draft, John Wall will give his unique perspective on the hottest topics in the league and tell the best behind-the-scenes stories from his time in the NBA. CJ will bring his A-list comedian buddies to keep it light and fire off some hoops takes. Plus, John will be inviting current and former NBA players, friends, and teammates to join the show as well to give their unfiltered accounts of what really goes on in the league from a player's perspective. So check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, the DraftKings YouTube channel, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Ever needed something for your home but don't have the cash or credit to pay for it? Let's chat about how to get what you need when you need it. You can do that at errands. Yep, you can rent to own appliances like washers, dryers, or refrigerators, furniture for your living room or bedroom, even tech like computers and gaming systems. Plus, errands has great brands like HP, Samsung, and Ashley. And you can pay a little at a time until it's yours forever. But here's the cool part. Say you're renting a 65-inch smart TV and decide you don't want it anymore. At Aaron's, you can return it at any time. Or maybe you want to downsize to a 55-inch or upgrade to an 86-inch. You can do that too. Return it 
then take home something new. Life's always changing. With Aaron's, your stuff can change right along with it. Keep it, return it, upgrade it. Aaron's fits your life instead of the other way around. So check out your nearest Aaron's store or visit Aaron's.com for more details. Approval isn't guaranteed and some restrictions apply. See your local store for details. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Yeah, it's interesting because, Carson, I think you did a really nice job breaking down the difference between the two guys and what they're expected to do for their teams. Mm -hmm. Like, I, I don't think there's any question that Dame is probably a better player you know, in terms of just like what he can do to help a team in the playoffs. But I think James Harden just has a much easier job on both ends of the floor, by the way. Like even at the, like Dame actually needs to be a decent perimeter defender for, for Milwaukee to kind of reach their ultimate goals. He's got to be engaged on that end of the floor. Like James Harden, they literally can just hide him because Terrence Mann can guard on the perimeter, because Paul George can guard on the perimeter, because Kawhi Leonard can guard on the perimeter, he's going to consistently get a significantly easier perimeter defense assignment. And then when he has the ball, he's going to catch a significantly lesser perimeter defender in the way that Dame is going to get the best of the guys, right? Mm -hmm. And then one of the things that I thought was really interesting, here's a stat for you guys that's interesting. Last year, when James Harden shot below 40% from the field, the Sixers were seven and eight in the regular season and three and four in the postseason. In large part because like they needed him. They yeah. needed him to be a guy who was consistently productive on the offensive end of the floor. This year, the Clippers are 10 and six when James Harden shoots below 40% of the field. And one of those losses was in that early stretch of the season when they were just like unbelievably yeah. terrible. <laughs> and so I think it's it's one of those things where it gets it gets complicated because I think these two players kind of get lumped in together and I actually want to ask a follow-up re- regarding that. But like, like the, the reality is, is like, I think we could come out of this postseason run thinking James Harden is a better playoff player because he has an easier job. And it's a great example of how when we have these kinds of conversations, it's important to acknowledge the difference in just what a player is expected to do for their team relative to some of their peers around the league. It was one of the biggest things that bothered me back in like, the like the 2018 finals or 2017 finals. It's like, oh, KD outplayed LeBron. It's like he's not nearly asked to do as much as what LeBron yeah. was asked to do for his team. It's not even in the same ballpark. And so those sorts of things need to be kind of discussed when we're getting into those weeds. But before we move on, who do you think has the more impressive playoff resume, Damian Lillard or James Harden? We'll start with you, Carson. I honestly think that it's Harden. And I'm about as low on playoff hard <laughs> as I feel like any reasonable person would be. But the reality is 
Logan, you talk about the killer thing with Dame, and there is this pervasive narrative that Dame is just a dude who steps up to the big moment. But in terms of playoff production, like it's not like he's elevated his game from what we've seen in the regular season. In fact, he's generally been inferior. He had that awesome first round series in 2021 where mm -hmm. he was like unstoppable. That's kind of the only time that I've looked at Dame's playoff performance and been like, oh boy, you really showed them. He's had some rough series other than that. His career efficiency in the postseason is significantly down. And Harden, yes, has disappointed, but it's about expectations to some extent. Like he's coming from these monumentally great all-time offensive regular seasons, and then he can't sustain that. And so if he gives you 30 and 8 on, say, 59% true shooting instead of 35 and 8 on whatever 64% true shooting you're like that guy fell off he fell off relative to expectations but he still at his prime was just a nightmare to deal with in isolation so the things that brought him down are very very real and they're important and I will always stand on the side of regular season James Harden is not equivalent to playoff James Harden there's tangible reasons for that that we've seen time and again so don't elevate him into the greatest offensive players of all time conversation but versus Dame, I would argue that he's actually done more impressive things in the postseason. I honestly think I'd go with Dame. I understand what you're saying, Carson. I mean, to me, Harden's style of play is always going to – or when he was at his apex, that style of play was always going to suffer in, in the playoff context. I think Dame was always more of a seamless, you know, uh, easy offense for his team. And I also think that Harden's teams were always better. I think Damian was elevating – Portland rosters that weren't that great to get there. Dame's not a great playoff performer, but I would take Dame's moments. What's your, what's your, I, I, and I, and I hate that. I feel like that's like a little bit of a cop-out answer, but like, yeah. what's James Harden's moment? I don't know what James Harden's moment I is. I mean, James Harden's moment, I guess, is like the block shot being the, the, being the closest guy to beating the Warriors in a playoff series for a half decade when Dame was getting bounced in the first yeah, round, and then he made it one time, and without KD, they washed him. I don't like know, it's I not see, Jimmy yeah. Butler we're talking about. Yeah, here. yeah Dame true. has this aura where people are like he rises to the occasion. He's a different player, but he's really not. And Harden may regress, but Harden's regressing again from all-time regular season player. Dame is coming from like fringe top ten guy, and he's kind of remaining fringe top ten guy. I don't know. I think context matters a little bit with that, too. Like I said, with his team, I don't think Dame's teams were – and Dame wasn't as good as Harden at his apex. You know what I mean? Harden was the better engine. I don't know. I, Dame has better moments, and I, I don't know, man. There's a the, – the clutch factor. I don't trust James Harden. I don't trust James Harden at all, man. I've seen James Harden crumble. I haven't seen Dame, like, completely collapse. This is a tough one because, like, there, once again, there's a lot of context. Like, you're right, Dame's moments are better, and he's definitely been bigger or better in like the bigger of the games. But then again, like James Harden has more consistently been, you know, uh, like he's a more accomplished regular season player. He's usually led teams to greater success. But then it's also important to acknowledge that I, like, I don't think Dame's ever had a team. Like the like that 2018 Rockets team. I, I just don't think he has. I don't mm -hmm. think he's had a team that's had Eric Gordon and Chris Paul and Clint Capella and athleticism on the wings that can defend. And like, it, I, I think it's complicated. And I, I would say, in terms of actual tangible accomplishment, I lean towards towards James Hard James Harden. But in an in a vacuum, if I could pick a player for their prime to put on like any basketball team. I think I'd probably still take Dame over James Harden, which I think is the the final differentiator. All right.
Two more, and then we're going to get out of here. Starting with you, Logan. Who is more likely to win the Western Conference, Luka Doncic or Kevin Durant? I'm going to say Kevin Durant, and I really like the Dallas Mavericks, guys. The Dallas Mavericks are one of my favorite teams to watch simply because they have Luka Doncic and Kyrie Irving. They are awesome when they are on. But wow, are they ugly when they are bad, man. The, the, the Mavs frustrate me beyond belief in their bad games when it's the Grant Williams show, when it's the role players suck on both of these teams is what I'm getting at. <laughs> both The role players just completely <laughs> blow, and I don't have any confidence in them to do anything. Like uh, Phoenix just has more top star power, and I can imagine KD and Beal and Book going crazy. They just have more top guys. Like that really is the sole – difference for me I can imagine Luca and Kyrie getting hot but I cannot imagine the role players playing beyond their means the Mavs are just too far away like if you're giving Grant Williams big minutes man I'm sorry dude your team's not doing anything you're relying on Josh Green and the boys and there's just there's not enough there you need Dante Exum you need Derek Jones I'm sorry and the Suns role players aren't that great either because the Suns still have their fatal flaws the reliance on pull-up jump shooting I think Nurkic, man, Carson, you were right, dude. I was so wrong. Dude, I tried to go to battle for Nurk, bro. I tried <laughs> to go to battle for Nurk, and I can't do it anymore, dude. He gets his – he flips his hips, and that man is running in cement uh, back to the yeah. hoop. He is just immobile. So, like, I'm not confident in either of these teams, but to me, the Mavs just don't have that third guy in the Suns do. I, I, again, that feels like a cop-out answer because the Suns are very flawed. Like I can see them getting smoked defensively because of Nurkic. I can see them being way too reliant on pull-up jumpers and notching 95 to 100 points in a couple of games because they just go cold from there. They don't get enough pressure on the rim. But they got D-Book and KD. And they got Beal they can rely on in certain games. And they got Grayson Allen, who's been great as a spot-up guy. And I think he could swing a series. And there's just – a few more role guys in Phoenix that I trust. Uh, so marginally, I would go with uh, with the Suns, but I don't have a ton of faith in either of these teams. I'm with you. The one argument for the Mavs would be that Luka's very likely going to be the best player on the floor in a theoretical matchup between these two, or he's just the best player between these two teams. And in playoff settings has been monumentally great, has taken his unbelievable regular season level and then gotten up, up another level. Part of that may be just from insane pull-up shooting runs, but there is the physical imposition. He gets where he wants on the floor. He's one of the three best playmakers in the league. And so single-handedly he can carry you to some pretty special stuff, but it is different when you're talking about a team that has Two top 10 players, in my opinion, in KD and Book, both of whom can absolutely light you on fire. Kyrie is still an unbelievable offensive player, but I think that there's a level of separation between those guys and him. And then it is the third dynamic creator off the dribble, the third big-time shot maker, the third guy who can pressure a defense and also play make in Bradley Beal, who doesn't exist for the Mavs. The Suns just have more overwhelming offensive strengths. They do have issues. Logan, you mentioned the lack of rim pressure, settling for mid-range jumpers, but they have just the personnel advantages and the spot-up shooting with Grayson Allen and Eric Gordon, guys who have had really, really good pure shooting seasons. And then if you look at the other side of the ball, it's not exactly a beauty pageant. Like the Suns are going to be okay defensively though, and the Mavs have just been bad. 
The Mavs are an awful rebounding team. The Suns have been quite a good rebounding team. I just think they are the better all-around basketball team, but I don't think it's likely that either of these teams make a deep run because primarily of my concerns on the defense side of the ball and then because of some little things offensively. Yeah, it's funny. If you look at the stats, it's pretty clearly Phoenix, just based on the stats. And I, I want to dive into this a little bit. Since Dallas started 8-2, and two, they're 18-20 and 20 in their last 38 games. In that span, that's been the 19th best record in the league, 17th in offense, 23rd in defense, 26th in defensive rebounding. Uh, they've had a lot of injuries. I want to make sure that that's clear. They've had 14 different players start games for them this season. But when Luka and Kyrie both play, they're 12-10, and 10, which is pretty mediocre. On the Suns front, Bradley Beal has played in 18 straight games. The Suns are 13-5 and five in those 18 games, which is the fourth best record in the league. They have the third best offense in the league over that span. 14th in defense. 21st in defensive rebounding. Not good, but better than Dallas has been. So the standings and some of the numbers very clearly point the Mavs and Suns as very different teams. But it does get complicated when you start to look at the playoff setting because I agree, I put it in my notes, I think Luka is the best player on either team. I think he's a devastating playoff player with the unique capability to strangle the pace, to make opposing stars lose confidence. To He has uniquely, different from Devin Booker and Kevin Durant, he has the ability to really physically impose his will mm -hmm. on an NBA playoff game. I think all of that is vitally important. And so this is where I get into the kind of playoff setting. And, and, and I want to pitch this back to you guys for a second. So if we agree that the core five for Phoenix is going to be matchup dependent, but it's going to probably be Bradley Beal, Kevin Durant, Devin Booker, Grayson Allen, and Eric Gordon with probably Nurkic in for Eric Gordon against teams that have bigger centers. And then they'll probably go small against other teams. The core five for Dallas we're probably getting Derek Lively and Grant Williams in that 4-5 spot, right? Then it's probably going to be one of either Tim Hardaway Jr., Josh Green, or uh, or Derek Jones Jr. in that 3 spot, depending on, again, once what the matchup is. This year, they've leaned a lot on Tim Hardaway Jr. in clutch time, which leads me to believe that they'd probably go that direction. I'd probably go with, uh, with Josh Green or Derek Jones Jr. if it was my decision, but it's going to be one of those guys. And then it's Kyrie and Luka. And when you really get down to it and you scale minutes up and you lean heavily on those groups and we acknowledge that there's a diminishing return with a third star on the floor that's a that's a ball handler and kind of like a heavy ball handling type of system, let's pitch it back to you guys. We'll start with you, uh, with you Carson. When you really g dig into those five guys, which of those two lineup groupings do you think has more capability of beating one of the higher-level uh, playoff teams in the Western Conference? It's an interesting question because uh, in some ways, that Mavs lineup checks more different boxes in that you still have your two shot creators, but then on the wings, you have a bit more physicality at the very least. You have your hyper-athletic big who can impact the game more defensively and as a rim finisher than old Nurk, who oftentimes looked like he's stuck in cement as... Logan mentions. So from that perspective, it's interesting because you think if the Suns are going to get kind of bullied 
no matter how good they are offensively, can they get enough stops against another great team? And maybe the formula is, and again, both these teams are flawed defensively, but it does feel like in terms of the physicality arena, the Mavs match up a little bit better. Maybe that's their advantage. And then Luca goes nuclear. But to me, the principle is the same. I just think that's a more skilled offensive lineup for the Suns. There's more ball handling. There's more dynamic shooting overall. Neither of these teams are going to win a series on the back of their defense. So I would take the team that I think has the better path to, to elite offense. I would take Phoenix for two reasons. One, uh, if the Mavericks are forced to play the Michelin man, Grant Williams, they are doomed. Uh, oh my they're, just God. Done. they're done for. <laughs> two, that's uh, Batman, bro. Put some respect on Batman. Dude, Logan, Logan has just been just just straight slander in this episode. <laughs> he, he hates Grant Williams. Grant Williams is such a bozo, man. All right. The second reason, I know that in theory, Dallas has the personnel to be a good D. I get what you guys are saying. With Grant's a little bit of a stockier four, should be able to match up physically well. Derek Jones Jr. has bounced. Derek Lively is a great athlete. I've seen two really bad games, and I don't know if there were injuries in these games, but there's two games to me from Dallas that stick out like sore thumbs. The one where Luka went crazy against Atlanta, and Atlanta kept pace that entire game. And then the other game that I point to is when Dallas played Phoenix. Man, I was talking trash to all of my friends who were Phoenix fans. I was like, oh, dude, Luka owns your poverty franchise. You guys stink. And then the Suns literally just came back and blew the Mavericks out. Like, you can have your qualms about the Suns' defense. I don't think Dallas's defense is in a, a different enough tier. I don't think their athletic advantages are enough to really make a meaningful difference to me. I think they're, you know, uh, they're wet paper bag defenses, man. You know, they just you tear right through them. And they're slower on the perimeter, Dallas. They they may be stronger, but they're slower. They are. I'm gonna I'm gonna take. Luca and the Mavs. Ooh. I think let, let's use this as an example. I don't think either team has really any chance to beat Denver, but let's look at like a Clippers matchup. Like Ooh. the Clippers would just play Suns basketball and do it better and beat them. The I I could see Luca strangling the pace, playing them into their worst tendencies, physically imposing his will on the game, picking on matchups. Like I I don't think either of these teams are that good or that either of them really have that type of, you know, uh, I should say not they they both have championship potential, but like, I mean, like real, like, you know, uh, like substantial championship potential. But if I had to pick one guy to notch an upset in a later round and, and maybe just sneak his way in, I'm going to take Luca in that group. I, I, I think, I think a lot of people are off of his scent after last year's, uh, missing the playoffs. And I, I just, I think I'm on the fence between the two. And given that circumstance, I'm going to lean towards Luca. All right. Last one before we get out of here, we'll start with you, Carson. Who would you rather build a franchise around? If you were starting from scratch right now, Anthony Edwards or Shea Gilgis Alexander, this is a real heartbreaker of a question. And in fact, we did uh, before this season, our like top got top 10 guys, 25 and under to build a franchise around. I believe I had them either three and four or four and five. And I had ant one spot above SGA. I think I'm going to flip now. No, oh, did I have SGA above you had, we both had SGA four and five. All right, perfect. I never switch up. I'm sticking with SGA then. And I think that, What's tough about this conversation is we are viewing a more final version of SGA, just in that he's a couple years older. I'm not saying either of these dudes are totally 
what they're going to be for the rest of their careers. But I think that Ant still has more room for growth. But there's a big gap between these two as basketball players right now. There's a big gap. And I think the key advantages for me with SGA are, first of all, the level of control that he imposes over a basketball game, the ability out of pick and roll to dictate the pace, to play make at a really high level. He just is the captain of an offense in a way that Ant isn't right now, and I'm not sure he will be. I also think you look at the versatility in shot making that SGA has, it's legitimately unbelievable. He's one of the hardest dudes in the league to stay in front of, not because of straight line speed, but because of maybe the nastiest change in pace that I've ever seen. Nobody shifts gears like SGA, but then he is also one of the most devastating mid-range shooters in the league. He's so great at using physicality to create space there. He has this ballerina body control where he's just going to get where he wants on the floor. And uh, at the same time, like he's been crazy efficient out of the post when he wants to. He's got such good footwork and body control down there. He just has a mastery of the skilled scoring and doing that in various different ways that Ant doesn't have. And these guys are both elite athletes. It's just different. Ant is like your prototypical 99th percentile strength, 99th percentile explosiveness, 99th percentile vertical ability. SGA's athleticism to me is in the shiftiness. It's in the balance, the body control. He just does stuff in the paint navigating that nobody else on the planet can. Uh, and then I think if you look at the defensive side of the ball, I think that they have very similar potential. I do like SGA a bit more as a help defender. And I think that what we've seen from him in terms of defensive playmaking this year has been super impressive. His length can just be game-changing at times. Ant has that stronger base. So it's similar, but I do think it comes down to the like all-around dominant, versatile scoring plus really high-end playmaking with SGA. Ant, I think you have the crazy rim pressure. You have the pull-up shooting stretches, but you just don't have that sort of all-around polish and I'm not sure if you will on the level of SGA, but I think both these guys are perennial MVP candidates for years and years. Yeah, I think if you're ever in this scenario, uh, you were blessed as an NBA franchise. Uh, if these were the two guys you were picking between, I'm actually going to flop here, Carson. I also had SGA Ooh. four and Ant five, and I think you make a great point. SGA is definitely more realized, uh, you know, to his full potential. Uh, I don't think Ant's done yet, and. I just think the physical level of pressure that he is going to be able to put on the rim, I think that the special kind of strong, vertical, quick athlete that he is, I just think that – I don't think he's done. I mean, I think we are going to see him just become effectively unstoppable, and I think his game – SGA, I think, is more tailored to the playoffs right now. Like, if you were asking me for this season, what guy do I want more to go on a run? There's a lot more polish on SGA. I trust him way more as an offensive engine – an initiator, but I see a different ceiling because of Ant's athletic advantages. That being said, I think you make a good point. I don't know if Ant's ever going to be the – I don't think Ant is capable of becoming the kind of pull-up and unstoppable shooter that SGA is in the lane. He is one of the most special in the league, but I'm going to take those physical advantages. I just think that matters a little more. I think that Ant is going to be an unstoppable tank, and if he can couple that with elite pull-up jump shooting – weaponizing his rim pressure into playmaking. Like, I just think he's got – he's already great, but I think he, there is even more room to grow with Anthony Edwards. So I'm going to take Ant. The, the you know, kind of important phrase that kind of dictates this conversation is starting a franchise with. Because a couple of caveats, 
I do think SGA is a better basketball player right now. And I do think that he would navigate a playoff environment a little bit better than Ant right now. I do think that they are very, very different archetypes of players. And so it can also get complicated in the sense that like some of the stuff that Anthony Edwards is not good at is kind of natural for his archetype. And some of the stuff that SGA is not good mm-hmm. at is kind of natural for his archetype and so on and so forth. The here's the here's the big difference for me. I think Anthony Edwards is not only on a, a trajectory in the in the bigger picture that I think could take him to a significantly higher level than he is now, but he also has the I think he's a more natural fit alongside other stars. Anthony Edwards is actually a decent off ball scorer, and I mean that off the move, like coming off of off ball screens, cutting to the rim, and he's just a much better catch and shoot player which is a significant advantage when it comes to playing alongside other players around the league. SGA has just a tiny bit of that like heliocentric when the ball's in my hands mm-hmm. and I'm in rhythm, everything looks good, but then my value tends to take a dip when I'm not on the ball as much. As much. And then everything, everything with Anthony Edwards is a pretty strong indicator of him being a great shooter in the long run. For starters, his last 25 games... Because, like, remember at the beginning of this year, he was kind of a little bit uh, rough around the edges offensively. Anthony Edwards' last 25 games, 27 points per game, five rebounds, five assists, 49% from the field, 41% from three, and 84% from the line. And he's on, like, pretty decent volume from three. He's taking something like six threes a game over that span. So, like, that's a, that's a third of the season that he's been a high-volume 40% three-point shooter. And, like... You see it in the foul shooting. You see it in the hot stretches of pull-up shooting. Like I think when we fast forward a few years, he's going to be a devastating combination of downhill force and power with pull-up shooting. And again, like if I'm starting a franchise, I know that I can bring in another high-usage offensive player and that Ant's going to be able to kind of like fit in with him well and make that all work. I also think, you know, Carson, you mentioned... Shea's off-ball defense, and I agree, he's excellent instincts and length and ability to kind of just get in and make plays. But the important distinction there is like Ant's still not very good at that stuff off the ball. True. And and like I I think there's a version of this five years from now. Like I when I think about 27-year-old Anthony Edwards, I think about a guy that could be the best player in the world. That's the potential that I think he has. Whereas like Shea, I think he kind of is already pretty close to what his ceiling is at this point. And there are some areas where he can prove specifically off the ball, right? But like to me, Ant is already pretty close to as good as Shea is. And he's got so much more room for improvement. And then you guys know me just in general. I talked about this with Luca versus KD, but like give me the guy who can physically impose his will on the game. Like like that that to me is is such a huge element to winning in the playoffs. Like you can just imagine Ant being this ridiculous matchup attacking back to the basket guard in the postseason, and it, it, like it, 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 he thrives in like ultra physical environments. And you know, I think I I think it, that to me is just the differentiator in the long run. I, I do have one last question before we get out of here, and we'll, and we'll start with you, Logan. Like, are you expecting Shea? to have a drop-off in efficiency and production in this postseason, or do you think he'll be able to sustain it? That's a great question. Uh, I think you made a great point, Jason, about him being a heliocentric player. I think that in that archetype, I think those players are just always more susceptible because, I mean, just think about it. I mean, you're every possession. You're having to play defense. You're on ball. Then on the other side of the ball, you're 
got the ball in your hands. Like you're just going to get inherently tired throughout a series, throughout a game. It's just going to wear you down. So I think he is more susceptible to that. I don't know, man. I don't think I could ever predict SGA to, to like fall. He's so dynamic. He can get to whatever spot he wants. Now, I think that's the big factor is that game five, game six, game seven, is he going to be downtrodden? Is he going to be worn out? That scares me. At the end of regular games where he's playing 40 minutes a night, is he going to be worn out? I don't know. That's the one area where I think he could maybe be susceptible to lulls, to falling off. But in terms of shot diet, decision-making, shots he gets to, there are very few players in the NBA that I expect their games will translate better to the postseason because SGA can do it from everywhere. He's a great playmaker. He does he does everything. My only concern is just him getting really worn out and tired from having to carry the burden, uh, you know, that entire offensive burden. Yeah, I would expect SGA to be a guy who actually scales really well to the playoffs. And I think that you make a great point, Jason, and an advantage that Ant has, and a lot of the great playoff risers have. Jimmy Butler, Kawhi Leonard. They are dudes who can impose themselves with strength. The ultimate advantage of that is that you get to your spots no matter what in that physical environment. I feel like SGA is the exception, though, in that he is so masterful with the pace that he plays at that I can't really see people keeping him out of the paint even in that playoff environment. Again, he's not going to do it with strength, but he's going to do that with those shifts and gears, and he doesn't have to get to the rim. And at this stage, really, it's mostly threes or it's attempts at the rim, and he's like a crazy contested finisher because he's such a great athlete, and he has been a really good shooter this year and continued to grow there. But if you do try to wall off an SGA drive, well, he can just devastate you with that short mid-range shot making, and he's the better playmaker at this stage. So I expect SGA to have quite a debut in the playoffs as the guy. He's been there before, but not as this superstar player. But I also think Ant's a guy who's going to get better in the playoffs, and Ant's a guy who's already gotten better in the playoffs because, yeah, his strength scales very well, and his pull-up shooting has been really good in those settings. But I think SGA is a dude who... I mean, maybe not in a world where Nikola Jokic exists, but, you know, in a post-Jokic world, I think he could have best player in the world ceiling, too, along with that. An important thing we didn't even touch, too, is, like, Ant's getting you 27-5-5 five and five on 49-41-84 splits, and there's no question that the Thunder provide a significantly more spaced-out environment for for SGA to operate in just to, mm -hmm. by virtue of just having a legitimate stretch five that you have to close out to and just all of the ball handling and shooting around him. I think it's a little bit more of an easy setup. The reason why I brought that up is a, as kind of a playoff scenario is specifically the shifty types. And I'll give you an example, James Harden, the shifty types that lean heavily on heliocentric shot creation from the same spots on the floor. One of the things we see is like, yeah, that hesitation moves pretty nasty, but what if a singular perimeter defender sees it 150 times in a, in two weeks? You know, James Harden has this ridiculous, you know, left to right crossover, step back jump shot combination, like the set of counter moves that he uses. And then what ends up happening is the same perimeter defend, defender sees it 150 times. And by game six and game seven, he has a good read on that hesitation. He has a good read on when he's going to go to that left to right cross. He has a good read on how to kind of like close the gap on that step back jump shot 
without fouling and making it into a tougher shot. Whereas like the supremely gifted athletes, they tend to actually get more and more separation as series prolonged because they're the energizer bunny, because they're those groups. And I agree with you, Carson. I don't think it's not that I don't think Shea has best in the world potential. I just think, I think if I had to rank where they are right now, SGA is clearly over Ant. But for me personally, if I had to rank ceilings, I think Ant's ceiling is higher than SGA's right now just because of those gifts. All right, I, we've got to get out of here. You can add ahead, one ahead, real quick thing about why SGA feels different in the playoffs to me than Harden. I do think it comes down to the variety of counters as one thing. I think that he simply has more moves that he can turn to at any point. I think, right, the spins creating separation with a little arm bar into the mid-range step back. And that's the other key point. Harden was very reliant on the step back three specifically. And you talked earlier about Tatum, the concerns with the volatility about his pull-up, his reliance on pull-up threes. And Harden just never shot as well in, in the playoff settings from deep. So I totally agree about the predictability with him. And I just, or, or SGA, I just feel is different because he gets to his spots in and around the paint. And because he is so creative and versatile in those spots. Yeah, I, I don't. I want to be clear. I'm not. I'm not comparing SGA to Harden in terms of like I expect him to be a playoff flameout. That, that's not yeah. what I mean. I just mean more like a guard shot creator that doesn't necessarily rely on supreme athleticism to get to his spots, but relies more on like the you know kind of the change of pace and and, and change of direction kind of stuff. Like I do think that I do think it's on the table, and I'm just curious to see. I am curious to see how SGA handles real playoff game planning. And, and like what 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 happens if he does like let's say they run into to Minnesota? What does Jaden McDaniel's guarding SGA look like in Game Six? What does it look like in Game Seven? I'm just curious. That that's all it is. And like just NBA history tells us the supreme athlete types they tend to be less susceptible to that kind of thing in late series than uh, uh, than the more finesse oriented types. But to be clear, I do not think SGA is the next James Harden. I never intended for it to be like that. That was just kind of an example of just playoff uh just kind of the dynamic that shifts as you get later into a playoff series all right carson before we get out of here can you guys tell us about what you guys are working on over at nerd sesh right now absolutely so we're doing three shows a week we're talking both nba and nfl but since the super bowl is coming up that is going to be overwhelmingly nba and then we also do some trivia stuff and if you want to check out our youtube page just look up nerd sesh on top of our full shows we are doing some in-depth video essay breakdown sort of stuff where we'll take a specific player or team and for 10 12 minutes we'll really dive deep in there with film so if you're interested in that that's all at the nerd sesh youtube page Carson and Logan do an amazing job over there at NerdSest. Make sure you get over there and subscribe and support those guys. We will see you guys, Carson and Logan, two weeks from today. Everybody else, I will see you guys on Monday. chat about how to get what you need for your home when you don't have a lot of cash or credit. You can do that at Aaron's. Rent to own appliances, furniture, and tech from top brands like HP, Samsung, and Ashley. But say you don't need it anymore, no problem. At Aaron's, you can return your product at any time or even upgrade it 
for something new. Life's always changing. With errands, your stuff can change right along with it. Keep it, return it, upgrade it. Errands fits your life instead of the other way around. Approval isn't guaranteed, and some restrictions apply. See your local store for details. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from The Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere. Like in the parking lot at your kid's Wee championship game. A trophy bigger than your five-year-old is blocking the rear windshield of the car in front of you. As they reverse into you, you're stuck on defense. And if you don't have the right auto insurance coverage, this crash could drain your athletic fund. So switch to Allstate, save money, and get protected from mayhem like this. Based on coverage selected, subject to terms, conditions, and availability. Savings vary.